You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I do not anticipate this being a very long episode, partially because the draft starts in a half hour, but also because I just, I really don't have that much to say. I have a couple thoughts, and that's kind of it. Also, I'm, I'm very cautious right now because the Packers fan base is about as volatile, angry, and toxic as this can possibly be. And um, this is one of those dangerous times where things are negative, and if you go too positive, some people will legitimately cut you off and say, I'm not listening to you because you're a shill and you're a joke, and this is why are you trying to make this positive. And then if you go negative, people are like, you're being negative. So it's just it's just a, it's just a landmine. It's a, it's a minefield. I'm, I'm deliberately choosing to walk out into a minefield. And so let me just say this. First of all, clearly... If I was doing this draft, I would not have made either of these three picks. I would not have picked Jordan Love because of my fear that he is more of a Trubisky type than a Pat Mahomes type. I would not have taken A.J. Dillon because I don't want a running back in the second round, first of all. And A.J. Dillon would not have been next on my list, period. And then uh, DeGuara, I wouldn't have taken because I didn't think there was very much talent left at tight end, and if there was, it would not have been DeGuara. Now... As I've had time to process this, things are starting to make sense. The, the The question is, though, and it's funny because I actually had set up a little experiment in my mind as things were materializing because I, I started to think, oh, geez, see, I'm, I don't want to launch into this yet. I'll tell you what, I'll, we'll, we'll dive in in a second. Let's do preliminaries and then um, then we'll launch into it because I can tell once I get started, it's just going to go. And it's, it's, it's all so new in my mind, it's going to be hard to kind of keep this straight and articulated. So just bear with me. Part of it is because it's, it's, it's so weird because as you think through things, everything kind of comes into, in, into frame and starts to make sense, but it's so starkly different than what I, where I thought we were. And I think Packer fans are all going through that process of feeling like we understand what's going on, but we're having a hard time accepting it and believing it and being okay with it because we all were on a certain path. And we all, we all came together as a community and said, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's the issues. Here's the track we're on. Here's what we're going to do. And we're finding out that Gutekunst and Lafleur never had that in mind. So that's the difficult part. But anyways, um, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group and like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I've been, I did a Jordan Love video this morning. I did a Josiah DeGuara video this morning. And I did an AJ Dillon video this morning. My thoughts lot of positive stuff, and I'm going to highlight what those positive things are and why Matt LaFleur got them, but I'm not also going to shy away from the negatives. Um, I don't think I need to highlight the negatives too much because everybody, as soon as they heard the, um, as soon as they announced the pick, it became very clear to me that everybody is fully aware of what the negatives are. So um, that's in there, but there's also the, the positives and what they can actually bring to the team. And if you're not um, emotionally prepared to hear positive news right now. Just give it a couple days, and you'll be better off. If you need to hear some good news, go check out the videos because it is a lot of um, here's what I think they can do for the Green Bay Packers. So again, make sure you are there. Um, I may do Instagram again. I know I said I was going to do live, but I was so worried 
about what the pick was going to be, legitimately traumatized from the Jordan Love thing that I said I don't want to go live because I'm going to end up having a terrible reaction and I don't want that being plastered all over. And I'm glad because as soon as I heard AJ Dillon, I just started laughing and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I did record a video and post it. And I, I, even at that point, I, I it, it became clear that going live wouldn't have been a good idea because I'm actively trying to process what in the world is going on and trying to put out a video at the same time, and I, I just I didn't really have a lot of answers. I still don't. And it, again, this is going to take time to process all this. But uh, Instagram is Packernet Podcast. Um, the Facebook group is called Packernet Podcast. The Facebook page is called Packernet Podcast. So it should be easy to find any of those things. Otherwise, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy. Um, Five-star iTunes rating and review, etc., etc. There's links if you want to help support whatever. Anyways, let's take our break now, and let's just see if I can try my best to unravel what in the world is going on in my um, mashed potato brain right now. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So let me start with this. This is either going to be brilliance or stupidity. Because everybody around the, the draft community, which let's try to remember the notion coming out of the NFL is that the draft community is way off on a lot of stuff this year, but... Regardless, everybody's looking at the Packers draft and saying this is a historically awful draft. But here's the thing, and I've mentioned this before. If Brian Gutekunst retired as a GM today, and he started a website, and it was a free website, and basically he just broke down prospects and said who he liked and who he didn't like, I'd be willing to bet 90% of Packer fans would use that as their number one resource. Because he is a former GM of the Green Bay Packers. But yet, because he's a GM right now, we look at it and say, well, he's a big dummy. Because Daniel Jeremiah says so. I mean, let's let's think about that for a moment. I'm not saying I know Brian Gutekunst is right, but I feel like we should maybe give him somewhat of a benefit of the doubt, right? One of the common things that I keep hearing is, well, we got a quarterback that's going to be on the bench, we got a backup running back and a backup tight end. That was dumb. Okay. Obviously, they don't think A.J. Dillon is a backup. He is going to be starting. No question. I'm not saying he's going to get more snaps necessarily than Aaron Jones, but... Let's also remember, Aaron. they don't like giving Aaron Jones the ball a lot. And if you're looking to run the ball a lot, and you got a guy that's only going to get about 13 carries because you're worried about his injury history, you need to expect this to be maybe a split backfield between A.J. Dillon and, and Aaron Jones with a little bit of Jamal mixed in and possibly Dexter. 
They didn't draft him to be the number two. They didn't draft him, you know, I saw, I think it was Nagler saying that this is a Jamal Williams replacement. Depending on what he means by that, no, they didn't draft in the second round the number two running back for this team, and then they're going to extend Aaron Jones. That's ridiculous. Same with DeGuara. This, they did not draft DeGuara, who apparently was at the top of their board, because they believe he's going to be just some serviceable backup behind Sternberger. That might be your contention. That might have been my contention based on my looking at these prospects. That might be a lot of the media's contention, right? A lot of people are showing me the rankings based on other websites. Like, oh, look at this. We got the 150th best player at pick 94 or whatever. Okay, but clearly that's not how Brian Gutekunst has his board. So it's a matter of why do you believe that media member more than you believe Brian Gutekunst? And I I don't have a problem with you personally saying you don't like it. Like I'm saying, this was not my top tight end even on the board but I at least have a little bit of humility to say I trust Gutekunst than it, more than I trust myself even knowing that he's probably not going to be a good prospect but that's not because Gutekunst is a dummy that's because out of the third round maybe two guys are going to be good football players so there's also the notion that this is entirely a build for the future and I agree to a degree however this isn't about AJ will take over when Aaron leaves, and right now he's on the bench, and DeGuara will... I, I don't really know what the thought is. No. Th- that's not exactly how I'm looking at this. It is about the future, just like every draft is about the future. But Jordan Love is the only one that is definitively about the future and not about this year. They're not going to draft A.J. Dillon if they don't think he's going to help in 2020. They didn't draft DeGuara if they didn't think he would help in 2020. These are two offensive players that are going to help in 2020. The the biggest problem Packer fans have is we're getting exactly what we asked for, but we're not getting it in the way that we wanted. We wanted, let's go all offense. Let's go all in on offense. Let's build out this thing and make it a juggernaut. But we wanted 2011 Packers. We wanted to go and get three wide receivers in the first three rounds, maybe two wide receivers and a tight end. Just go crazy. Well, that's what they did. They went all offense. But they're trying to build a Matt LaFleur offense and not a Mike McCarthy offense. So they went and got a tight end, a big Derrick Henry-style running back, and a quarterback of the future because that's the fact is he fell to him. I don't think they went into it saying we're getting Jordan Love. I think they went into it saying if he falls, we'll take him, Especially, you know, depending on the rest of the board. But they, they obviously really liked him a lot and had no idea whether or not he would make it. He did, so they're like, well, I guess this is what we're doing. But again, the, the, the weird thing is, we again, we should have kind of seen this coming, and for a lot of reasons. But I had mentioned this prior to free agency. I had said what I think is going to happen is the same thing that happened last year. We, we had gone out and got Mike Pettin. He had built or tried to run a team with Dom Capers' defense. That very next offseason, basically, he just gave Mike Pettin the reins and said, tell me, give me a wish list. What do you need to make your defense work? He gave him a wish list. He went out and got those guys, and the defense improved. This year, as I said they would, he went to Matt LaFleur and said, what do you need to make this work? He gave him a wish list, and he is now fulfilling that wish list. When was the last time you saw three offensive players taken in the first three picks from the Green Bay Packers? You don't ever see that. The reason we're seeing it is because, again, that's what Brian Gutekunst is trying to do. He went out and got a new offensive coordinator, or excuse me, a new uh, head coach. The head coach is operating with a Mike McCarthy roster, and he's saying, okay, what do you need to make this team work the way you want it to work? He made a list, and Gutekunst is just checking them off the list. Now, some of this is best player available. I'm sure they could have gone different. It's not like he said, I want Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, and DeGuara, and that's just what he did. It depends on who's available at, at what position, but the bottom line is, this is Matt LaFleur all the way saying, these are the pieces I need. I mean, if you just look at, for example, DeGuara, it makes a lot of sense when you watch him. Jay Sternberger is a tight end with a lot of upside, 
DeGuara is a guy that plays at Cincinnati, which is a very similar style of offense to what Matt LaFleur is doing. If you look at the motion, the the going from one side of the formation to the other to block the backside to kind of, you know, run a, and then the very next play to run across the formation to look like you're about to block and then bail on that block and run out into the flat. You know, I mean, this is a lot of stuff we started seeing Matt LaFleur implement, but he's been doing this at Cincinnati. And unlike Sternberger, who spent one year at Texas A&M, then goes to Green Bay and plays a half a year before getting hurt, or not even a half a year, so wildly inexperienced and needs a lot of time to grow, DeGuara has been running in the Cincinnati offense for five years. He is a plug-and-play. He's going to come in. He already knows how to do all this stuff. So whereas he might not have the same ceiling as Sternberger, we are getting a guy that can come in and, and operate in a Matt LaFleur system instantly. Not to say there's, he's going to be great or he's going to be perfect or there's not any growth that needs to happen, but there's going to be a lot less of a learning curve because he already understands a lot of these principles and how to do this stuff. It might just be a little bit more refinement, maybe add a couple pounds. Obviously, the the um, level of competition at the NFL compared to Cincinnati is massive, so there's going to be a whole another layer of how to perfectly and properly execute what it is I need you to do. So there's going to be some, again, refinement. But in general, he understands how to run this kind of an offense. So it makes a lot of sense. And again, A.J. Dillon, we're going to run the ball a lot more. You can't really do that with Aaron Jones. And so if we're really going to commit to more tight end heavy, more running back heavy, that kind of a Lafleur offense, you need another tight end and you need another running back and, and probably a better fit, which is a guy that can handle from 15 to 20 or plus carries an absolute bruiser and a banger and and maybe not you know I like the guys that are smaller and quicker and can got these big play home run potential I think Lafleur wants a guy that's just going to execute this is going to be a if and if you watch that video I made a lot of the time he was just told to just bang it up the middle and he would smash up the middle and get three and a half yards and that was about it but when you watch him work to the outside and he's got a real good one cut and go kind of ability that's exactly what the Packers want he can get a good head of steam going he's real fast considering his size he gets a, you know, when he bounces it to the outside, he gets a good head of steam going. And again, I think he's going to be that grinder. He's going to be that guy that's going to be able to execute on first down, second down, third down, fourth down. Also, if they decide to do any two-back kind of stuff, they we saw that with him in college where he ends up being a lead blocker and he's literally just laying people out. And so that's 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 the thing. And I think the biggest fear is, and it's a, it's a thing that's worth being afraid of, is we're realizing how much of a commitment Matt LaFleur was. Because there's a lot, and I think a lot of Packer fans look at the Packers' offense and say, this is an elite offense that just needs a couple little pieces. Just add those pieces and be done. And we're seeing a, a literal rebuild. Like, the, the enti- everything that made the Packers' offense great, we're just walking away from it. The, the aerial assault down the field, all this stuff that Aaron Rodgers has done great, LaFleur is saying, I don't want to do that anymore. I just don't. I want to do what I want to do. And there's going to be a lot shorter passes and run the ball and work with tight ends and all these kind of little things. And it's, it's scary. It's scary to think like, man, we're, we're, we're committed to this. And if it doesn't work, oh, well. Like, we can't go back because we're letting those guys, we're letting these types of guys walk. We're bringing in new types of guys to run this style of offense. There's no turning back without, you know, hiring somebody else and then going through this process of letting these guys walk and bringing in new players. This is a big, big commitment. And it's scary. Because if this doesn't work, it, it's really not going to work. Now, I think we should have more confidence than we have. What Matt LaFleur was able to do in his first year, and remember, this is still first year, and a lot of guys were still not understanding things. Sternberger was hurt and not utilized very much. He's got his second year to grow. Now we have DeGuara, so we got two Matt LaFleur-style tight ends. Hopefully there is a, a, a coinciding of 
DeGuara being able to come in and have an instant impact and Sternberger being better in his second year so that there's a, a, a massive improvement in tight end play. You've got the trio now of Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones and a little bit of growth from Dexter possibly, depending on if we even keep four, which we might not. To be completely honest, Jamal might not even make it. I know that doesn't seem likely, but if we're going to start getting rid of running backs that we're not keeping anyways and we want to give Dexter a shot and we can't get rid of A.J. and we're definitely not getting rid of Aaron unless we do something crazy like trade him for some draft picks or something, which actually isn't impossible, which makes me sad and beyond scared, but possible. But you get that continued growth. And I know the wide receiver situation isn't great, but let's also please remember, as I've said a thousand times, as much as it's disappointing that this was a great wide receiver class and we're coming away with basically nothing, and even if we get wide receivers, which we probably will get at least one, the odds of him being a real stud or better than Funches and Lazard, pretty low. But let's not forget the massive amount of teams right now that we are terrified of that have been operating with one wide receiver. How long the Texans offense operated with one good quarterback, one good wide receiver, no offensive line, no run game whatsoever, and they're getting to the playoffs. How many times the Saints operated with one wide receiver? The 49ers with one wide receiver. It's not ideal, and it's not optimal, but we have one wide receiver, and we do have secondary options. And again, I think with if Matt LaFleur gets this offense rolling the way he wants to, it's going to be a lot less impactful. It's hard to operate Mike McCarthy's offense with one wide receiver. I think if you get a Shanahan-style offense, as we've seen with who, oh, I don't know, Shanahan, you don't need more than one really good wide receiver. you got two tight ends out there that have got a lot of talent. You've got running backs that have got a lot of talent. You've got a lot of stuff that you can do. That one wide receiver is as big enough of a, th- of a threat because if you just try to take him away and double up on him all day, that's, that's a fraction of what we do with our offense. Now, because of how things were not material, you know, Jimmy Graham was not good, Sternberger was not good, Mercedes was not good. All the wide receivers, for the most part, were not very good. It is just Devontae, and that's it. But the point is, we can grow in other areas outside of we have to get an elite first-round wide receiver. And I think that actually coincides fairly well with LaFleur, and I think he's more excited about these picks than a lot of Packer fans are, because his vision for the offense is different than our vision. And again, I understand why that scares us, because that's not what we're used to. Even though we're okay with it in theory, like, oh yeah, I want to look just like Shanahan's offense. We're building a Shanahan offense, and everybody's mad. Well, we need more wide receivers. Why? Shanahan doesn't have more wide receivers. He's got Debo Samuel and nobody. I mean, they had Emmanuel for a while, and obviously that helped, but they don't right now. Is everybody saying that they're garbage because they just have Debo Samuel? And I'm not just trying to defend. I'm just trying to think through the logic of this. I'm trying to get people off the ledge acting like we cannot be a good team unless we have two elite wide receivers. And despite the fact that there are almost zero teams in the NFL with two elite wide receivers. The Patriots didn't even have one good wide receiver for a long time, and they were winning Super Bowls. When was the last time the Patriots had anybody as good as Devontae? The Baltimore Ravens do not have anyone anywhere near as good as Devontae. The Tennessee Titans don't have anybody as good as Devontae. But you know what? They're able to operate because they they have a certain system that works. The Baltimore Ravens don't need Devontae and Henry Ruggs to make that offense work. They've got a pile of tight ends that are unbelievably talented and a really talented quarterback. They are able to use the pieces that they have to create a system that works. The 49ers have one good wide receiver in Samuel, one extremely, I mean, you know, a very good run game, an extremely talented tight end in Kittle, and a really talented fullback. The Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, they, they added Watkins, but Watkins is not that big of a factor. They've got one really good wide receiver in Hill, an extremely talented tight end in Kelsey, which, by the way, do you know where Tel- Kelsey was drafted out of? Did you know that the last time a third-round pick was taken out of Cincinnati, his name was Travis Kelsey?
Travis Kelsey was a third-round pick out of Cincinnati, exact same place DeGuara was taken, exact same round DeGuara was taken. In fact, DeGuara and Travis Kelsey said they talk all the time. In 2013, Travis Kelsey was taken out of Cincinnati in the third round. He was not a top-five pick. He was not a top-ten pick. He wasn't a first-round pick. I'm not saying he's Travis Kelsey, but I'm saying can we at least wait to see what the guy can do? Oh, he's some small-school bum in the third round. Yeah, so was Travis Kelsey. And again, George Kittle out of Iowa in the fifth round. We've drafted two tight ends in the third round. One of them was raw and injured. The other one is a guy that's a plug-and-play that's a good fit for the system. It's not impossible one of them turns out to be a pretty good tight end in the NFL someday. I'm just saying let's wait and see before we throw ourselves off a bridge. That's all I'm saying. Um, it's kind of a random comment, but I was going to mention this before we went into the break. One of the reasons that I kind of realized exactly what we were doing is I kind of set up in a, a little test in my mind. Maybe I did say this. I'm going to say it again if I did. I'm sorry. I can't. Everything's a blur right now. After we took A.J. Dillon and I realized that we're getting pieces for this new Matt LaFleur offense that he wants to build, which let's get, again, get excited. The Tennessee Titans are not a bad offense with tight ends, running backs, etc., etc. So by the way, that success started with Matt LaFleur. Derrick Henry started becoming an elite running back with Matt LaFleur. So let's let's give the man an opportunity when we just drafted basically a Derrick Henry type running back to give him, you know, maybe maybe he's going to be a good running back. I'm just saying maybe. I don't know. But as soon as that pick went, I said, okay, I'm going to set up a little experiment in my mind. If we're just going based on, you know, biggest needs and whatnot, and we're going to look at this and say, okay, who needs what, the, right? Because we're, we're going off of, all right, Matt LaFleur, what do you want? To make this thing work, and he went out with love, and he got it. Uh, he got his running back. Is this just about Matt Lafleur gets whoever he wants, or are we just going off of what are the biggest things to get you what you need? Because I think defensive tackle is Mike Pettin still sitting there saying, "Look, I could really use a defensive tackle." But then I thought, what would it be if Matt Lafleur needed something to make his style of offense work? Right, offensive line, tight ends, running back. What would the pick be if Matt Lafleur needed? If I'm Brian Gutekunst and I go to Matt Lafleur and I say, "Okay," What's still missing from your offense to, to make this an, a top-tier Matt LaFleur-style offense? And I thought to myself, I bet it's a tight end. And so I waited. I said, I, it, it's, I'm going to guess it's a defensive tackle because I think that's where we're going to go with this. But if this is just all in on Matt LaFleur getting whatever he needs, we're getting a tight end. Sure enough, that rolls around and we get a Matt LaFleur-style tight end, Josh, uh, Josiah. Have I been saying Joshua? Josiah DeGuara in the third round, which seemed shocking. But at the same, it's one of those things where... When you think you start to understand things, you set up a little test and you say, if I'm right, this is what's going to happen. If I'm right about this, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, it's falling in line. So that was a little test to see, is this what we're doing? And I think it is. I think that's, and now how long this continues, I doubt it's going to be all offense all the way through. And it is still an element of who's available on the board. So there's a little bit of that, but you can tell that this is absolutely um, Gutekunst turning to Lafleur and saying, look, whatever you need to get this offense going, I'm going to get it for you. I hired you to run your offense, and I'm not going to now hold you back from being able to do that by not getting you the guys that you need. So again, that, that, that in and of itself is a reason to get excited. This isn't what we wanted because it's not how we wanted it to happen, but it is what we asked for. We wanted the offense to be able to execute and to be a good offense. The problem is we've been picturing... The old school, Aaron Rodgers, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, James Jones offense. Those days are dead and gone. If you want the Packers to build offense, this is what we're getting. And as scary as it is, and as much as maybe we don't like it, 
This is what it's always been, and we should have seen this coming. Maybe not Jordan Love quite as much. It's a separate issue. But this kind of stuff isn't that crazy when you think about it again through that context. The last thing I want to bring up, and if you're not depressed yet, allow me to push you a little further into the at least fear category of how much we're committed into this. There was an article written, and I hope I can find it now. I think the assumption with Jordan Love is he's going to sit two years, and then they're going to reassess things and see how things go, right? If after two years Jordan Love doesn't look like he's progressing, then we just act like nothing happened. He stays a backup. We continue looking to draft a new quarterback, and we just kind of go on that way, kind of like with Brett Hundley, Deshaun Kaiser, right? We're just going to let him play. It kind of became apparent that he wasn't going to be the guy, and we just slowly let him drift away. The general consensus has been you can't get rid of him prior to 2022, however, but some of the cap guys have been breaking this down, and that's not actually true. There is a scenario in which Rodgers is dealt in less than a year. Here's essentially how this plays out. Let me just read this in its entirety. This is scenario two, trading or cutting Rodgers early 2021. Things get a little more interesting next season. Rodgers counts for $36.35 million on the salary cap while playing on a $22 million salary. Rodgers also has a $6.8 million roster bonus that is due by the third day of free agency, so any move would need to be made before that. It basically gives them an official two-day window to execute a trade. This is still not a cheap option. Both moves would cost the team $31.556 million in cap dollars, uh, though that would free up around $4.8 million in cap space. If they wait until after the roster bonus is paid, however, the dead money jumps to $6.8 million, meaning he will remain on the team because essentially it would be cheaper to keep them than move them. If the NFL is seriously impacted by COVID-19, I don't really care about any of that. Here, here's, the, here's the theory, though. Here's what we really need to consider, and, and really it just comes down to, and I don't, wanna, I don't want to not think this just because I'm overreacting, but there, there does seem to be a question. Is Aaron Rodgers really the best fit for, for Matt LaFleur? Is it possible that maybe as much as Matt LaFleur is trying to blend Aaron Rodgers in the Matt LaFleur offense, there's still an element of he's good. He's a very good quarterback. He's an extremely intelligent quarterback. However, he's not exactly what I'm looking for. And he still doesn't do exactly what I would like him to do. And he still does a little bit of that old stuff that I wish he wouldn't do so much. Is it, let me just ask it this way, is it entirely impossible that this is a quarterback that if they really like him, if they genuinely give him a chance and believe that he can be the guy, and if let's just say Aaron Rodgers has a down year or gets injured or anything to that capacity, and they watch Jordan Love and genuinely think he's the guy that next year, early 2021, in this window before he gets his bonus, the Green Bay Packers could trade Aaron Rodgers, save $4 million. It's going to be a massive cap hit, but they're still saving money because um, Jordan Love is costing us about $2 million. So overall, we're still saving money even with a new quarterback. But not only that, think about the massive amount of compensation the Packers could get going into the 2021 draft. I don't think two first-round picks would even be that... I, I mean, that's 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 the starting point for negotiations. A, a team that is desperate for a quarterback trading two first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers. I, I'm, 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 the only reason I'm throwing it out there is because I don't want to be blindsided by this. I don't want to be ignorant to the fact, well, no, he's got another four years. Jordan Love is just a garbage pick. He's never going to be any good. Is it possible maybe Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst are looking at this and really do want to move on with this new era, with this new Matt LaFleur offense, a new Brian Gutekunst Packers team, a new era in Green Bay that runs differently than what the old offense did? And Aaron Rodgers... 
as good as he is, he's getting older, he's extremely expensive, and that's the other aspect. It's for one year. So in 2021, we're, we're cap-strapped. Not any more than we would be anyways, because we're actually saving money by moving Rodgers, but we don't have a lot of money freed up. The very next year in 2022... All that money's gone. So the $40 million Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be getting is gone, and we've got a guy still on his rookie contract getting, what, $3, 4000000 million? So we have a billion dollars to spend, just ridiculous amounts of money. The year prior, we had three first-round picks because we have our first-round pick, and we have the two first-round picks that we got, or we have two and then two again in 2021, depending on how we get our first-round pick. Again, it seems ridiculous, but I'm, I'm trying to understand. I mean, Look at it from this perspective. Look how shocked everybody is at what the Packers are doing. Because the Packers are very, very committed to going in a different direction. Let that sink in for a second and tell me that you know definitively they have no intention of moving on from Aaron Rodgers. After just drafting a quarterback, trading up in the first round to draft a quarterback, tell me definitively that you know that they're not ready to move on. Now, again, you're, you you got to hope that Jordan Love is the guy. Um, if, if this is your plan... And maybe you're just leaving your options open, that if Jordan Love does seem to be really solid and Aaron Rodgers continues this descent, and let's be completely honest, I don't think we're ever going to see 2011 Aaron Rodgers ever again. Not saying he's a bad quarterback, but the, the, the best days are behind us with Aaron Rodgers. And this Matt LaFleur offense doesn't necessarily need elite wide res- or quarterback, right? A, a, a Jordan Love type, dump the ball off, run the ball, give it to your tight end. He's got the mobility, he's got the youth, he's cheaper. And we're talking, and, and that's the other aspect, even if it doesn't work out, if even if it's kind of close with Jordan Love, let's think about it from this perspective. If you can get two first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers and go into this draft, think about how many good quarterbacks there are. You're telling me with three first-round picks we couldn't move up and get one of the top three quarterbacks in this draft? Of course we could. With, with Jordan Love as a fallback in case we don't get one of the top guys, which we would. Well, why would we do that if we have we just drafted Jordan? What do you mean? Of why, why do you think you would trade all those guys away? You'd go up and get this guy to be, you know, get Trevor Lawrence, get whoever to be your next quarterback. My preference would be Matt Coral. I'm not even kidding. And beyond that, you don't believe? Go watch Matt Coral. He is Jordan Love. If Jordan Love was was one of the better prospects you've ever seen. I mean, in terms of the mobility and the throwing on the run, that guy is just an absolute freak. I'm not. I'm not trying to convince you that this is a good idea. I'm just trying to get you to process this because it, it may not be as impossible as you think. I know Brian Gutekunst said Matt, Aaron Rodgers is going to be our guy for a while. All I'm saying is we're seeing a hard commitment to a new offense and a new direction. We're seeing a slowly declining Aaron Rodgers, and I, I really believe we are one bad season away from maybe just being ready to cut ties. And depending on the compensation you can get from Aaron Rodgers, we may have the ammunition necessary to move up and get a Trevor Lawrence, a Justin Fields, or a Matt Coral, which again, Matt Coral is my preference of those three, regardless of who the top guy is, that reality is there. That potential is there. Again, everybody's going to be mad at me for saying this, but let's just be honest about it. You know that it's not impossible, and if you think it's impossible, tell me how much you knew going into this draft, how angry you are, because you had a perfect idea of what the Packers were going to do, and look at what they're doing. Even if you think it's just dumb, tell me you don't think the Packers are being dumb right now. So, so so next year they're going to be smarter? I'm just saying, you don't know. We'll see how it plays out. We'll see how all this works out. I just want you to just, just let's just tuck that away in the back of our minds for a minute. Let's just tuck it back there. But here is, they did a little breakdown of all the different scenarios for Aaron Rodgers here. If we cut or trade Aaron Rodgers this year, it is $51 million in dead money. 
which would be we would lose $29.5 million, which we obviously don't have, so that's not going to happen. If we do a um, post-June 1 of 2020 cut or trade, there would be $19.5 million in dead money this year, $31.5 million for 2020, which would be a savings of $2 million for 2020 and $4.8 million in savings in 2021. If we did a cut or trade in 2021, $31 million in dead money, $4.7 million in savings in 2021, and then a $40 million savings in 2022. Again, that's where it becomes unbelievably financially beneficial. Not only did we trade him away and get a bunch of compensation, now we have $40 million to spend, in addition to whatever we would have had to spend beyond that anyways. If we do a post-June 1 um, move in 2021, which is still moving him in 2021, it's just a different designation, which basically splits the dead money. So instead of $31 million, we take a $14.3 million hit this year, $17.2 million hit this uh, next year. And the the extra, the benefit of that is in 2021, meaning next year, we're going to save $22 million next year and twenty basically $22, $23 million in 2022. And then, of course, there's what everybody thinks is the absolute earliest, which is clearly not, but what most people think is to cut or trade in 2022, at that point there's $17.2 million in dead money, we would still save $22.6 million in 2022, and then in 2023, the next year, it would be the remaining $28.3 million would be of saving. So the point is, the assumption was he's probably going to play out the rest of his contract and then be done, but it could be as early as 2022. What I'm saying is it could be as early as 2021, meaning next year. I don't think it's very possible that it happens in in um, in 2020, and and surprisingly, it's not even because we can't afford it. Again, a post June one trade this year would save us two million dollars this year and and four point eight million dollars next year. The only reason they're not going to do that is because Jordan Love needs to sit and learn. But I'm just saying, financially, I've been wrong, and I think a lot of other people have been wrong about the fact that it's impossible to move him until 2022. That's not true. So again, just just stash it in the back of your mind. And again, look, I, I think the biggest thing and the biggest way we're going to be happy is to recognize that we are moving in a different direction and embrace that. And just really hope that we can start to see this Tennessee Titans, San Francisco 49ers style of offense start to develop because these are talented and, and hard-to-stop offenses. It's just a matter of can Gutekunst get Matt LaFleur the guys he needs and can Matt LaFleur build the offense that he envisions? Because if those things can happen, then we're, we're in good shape. And, and again, we don't even have to worry about Rodgers. We have Rodgers this year, who is still a very good quarterback. We're going to have A.J. Dillon, who is our now Derrick Henry. We have a very good offensive line. We have a very good number one wide receiver. We have DeGuara, who is a plug-and-play tight end in a Matt LaFleur-style system. We have Sternberger, who is going to be in his second year and hopefully developing a little bit. We still have Aaron Jones, who is a very good running back, who is going to have a little bit of that load taken off him, which means he can be a little bit more versatile and, and more you know, impactful on the times that he's on the field. We still have Funches, who's going to bring a different dynamic, although he's not an elite wide receiver. He's good enough to, I think, be a number two. We have Alan Lazard. We have a, we still have a good football team. And I understand we're not growing in the way and, and with the speed that you had hoped. I think we all were hoping that we were going to... I was telling somebody, I, I'm going to have to become a Denver Broncos fan because they got Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. I mean, I'm with you insofar as looking at that and saying I wanted that to be us so badly. I would be... I would just be on my knees thanking Gutekunst 24-7 if that had been the case. 
However, this is what we're doing. And again, we probably should have seen it coming. This is our own fault for, for believing that we're going to go in a different direction. We need to see what it is, embrace what it is, and just trust that it's going to work. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But this is the time of year when you start feeling optimistic. That's what this offseason is for. And if we spend this time complaining, we're really in trouble. Because this is fantasy time. This is when we start to envision and we talk about how great this is going to be and that's going to be and it's going to be amazing. And then reality hits around September. But if we ruin this time and start talking about how terrible this is going to be, then we're just really making ourselves miserable. So watch these guys. Get excited about these guys. Really start to think about how this can work as a new style of offense with Aaron Rodgers and and Devontae and how this is all going to mesh together. And try your best to get excited about it. That's all I can try to tell you to do. That's all I got. Again, I'm still trying to run through this stuff too, and some of it is is a little bit mind-blowing. And I'm not saying definitively we're moving Rodgers. I'm just saying let's be very open because clearly the, the Packers have a very different vision than we've all had. And we need to start being open to what exactly that means in its entirety. So anyways, happy uh, draft day number three. got to get it started. We're 15 minutes in, so I'm already missing it. But you folks have yourselves a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have some really, really good news and some more great prospects to talk about. Have a good one. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.